Amen. Good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Book of Acts chapter number 14. Acts chapter number 14. Continuing to work our way through the book of Acts. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll be finishing up Acts chapter number 14. And then we'll be taking a break from the book of Acts uh, as we begin to look at some uh, the subject of the home and the family from Mother's Day through Father's Day. And so we'll be taking a break from Acts and going into that and looking at some things that the Word of God has to say about the family. And so uh, we'll be doing that. And I've, I've, I've got all kinds of things I want to say about the family, but I've got to hold off for two more Sundays and then we can get into the family and look at what the Word of God has to say about that. But this morning we'll be in Acts chapter number 14. As you find your places, I do want to say that today is a special day for me. And it might be a special day for y'all. But three years ago, on the last Sunday of April, y'all voted for me to be senior pastor of Marlbrook Baptist Church. And I'm telling you what, it's always a special day when the last Sunday of April rolls around and I'm reminded, made it another year. Hey, we hung in there. And I have to say, the three years have went by pretty fast for me. They've uh, been a bit of a blur. But uh, I'm thankful that y'all voted me in. Thank y'all for allowing me uh, to be pastor of Marlbrook Baptist Church. I, I can honestly say, with all of my heart, there is no place I would rather be. There is no nothing else I would rather be doing. There is no other occupation I would want to have. There is no other group of people that I would want to pastor the Marlbrook Baptist Church. I have to say that I am the happiest, the most fulfilled, the most completed that I have ever been in my life in any occupation, in any role, serving as pastor of Marlbrook Baptist Church. And I thank you all for the opportunity to let me be your pastor. And I'm happy to be here. And thank you all for that privilege. Acts chapter number 14, and we're going to be looking at verse 8 down through verse number 18. We're going to be looking at the thought of confronting false religion. Since the beginning of time, there have been false religions. Uh, uh, Satan has worked diligently to ensure that there would always be counterfeits and alternatives to the truth of God. In the Garden of Eden, uh, Satan convinced Adam and Eve to sin in against God by offering a gospel of superior knowledge. And by offering this gospel of superior knowledge, he convinced them to sin against God. And ever since that day, the devil has produced many, many variations of belief that have deceived men and hindered the ability of men to believe the gospel. The devil knows that in our makeup, in our very being, in our composition, we have a need to walk. Worship. In our makeup, we have a desire to know our Creator. We have a desire to, uh, to understand who our God is. We are seeking. We know uh, in our makeup that there is more to what we see than what we can see. We understand that there has to be someone superior. Uh, and so man within his very nature will seek God. Man within his very nature will seek out God. He will look for God. And so the devil is quick and he has been for centuries. He's been very busy uh, making sure that when men begin to seek uh, to satisfy that inner longing uh, that he has provided plenty uh, of counterfeits uh, and alternatives that men uh, can look into. Uh, they can put their belief in uh, and they can accept. And by accepting these things, uh, whenever the truth of the gospel comes along, many times their minds are blinded uh, to understanding and hearing what the Bible has to say about 
about the truth of the Word of God. Here in Acts chapter number 14, we read the account of an unusual encounter between Paul and Barnabas and some people who believed a false religion. In this account, we will see several things take place. First, we'll see the work of God in a heavenly deliverance. We'll see the confusion of the people in their heathen delusion. And then we'll see the wisdom of Paul in a heartfelt declaration of the truth of the Word of God. In looking at this account, we will see how a false religion or even a simple misunderstanding of the truth of God's Word can cause people to form incorrect conclusions about the truth of the gospel. Here in the United States, and especially here in the rural area in which we live, we do not often encounter people who are steeped in believing the false gods. But what we do encounter very often is many different variations and interpretations of the Word of God, many of which are incorrect. And because people are hanging on to these old wives' fables and these old traditions that man has created concerning the Word of God, many times it is very difficult to get people to see the truth of the gospel. And this is exactly what Paul encounters here in Acts chapter number 14. Paul goes and he preaches and he works in the power of God and yet the people are unable to see the hand of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because their mind is confused with this false religion. Let's read starting in verse number 8 of Acts chapter number 14. The Bible says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which when the apostles Paul, uh, Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they scarce restrained, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege and this opportunity to be in your house with your people. Lord, and the opportunity that we have to look into your word. I thank you, dear Father, that when you saved us, Lord, you didn't leave us without instruction. You didn't leave us without guidance. But, Lord, you gave us your word. And, Father, through the study of your word, Lord, we can learn and apply the principles of God's word to our life. Oh, Lord, that we might better understand how we are to live as Christians and how we're to live as Christians, uh, Lord, in the midst of this ungodly world. And, Father, I pray that you 
will help now. As we look at this account of Paul and Barnabas as they encountered this false religion and Lord, how they dealt with it, I pray dear Father that you will help us to learn from your word that Father we might be better equipped. Oh, Lord, whenever we encounter those, oh, Lord, who do not understand the truth of the gospel, Father, I pray. Thank you for this privilege and opportunity to be in your house. Bless now your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now when we uh, jump into this passage, if you back up to verse 5 and 6, which we looked at last week, you'll see that Paul and Barnabas were preaching there in Iconium, uh, and they began to get rumor that the people were planning on stoning them and killing them, and so Paul and Barnabas felt that it would be wise uh, uh, since the church was already planted instead of causing a disruption for them to go ahead and move into another city and continue preaching the word of God. And so they left Iconium uh, and went into Lystra and Derbe, uh, and there they continued preaching the gospel and now they're there in Lystra and they're preaching and while Paul is preaching there in Lystra the Lord opens the door for a heavenly deliverance. The Lord opens a door for a heavenly deliverance to take place. The message of the gospel is deliverance. The message of this Bible is deliverance. The hope of the word of God is deliverance. And in the early church oftentimes God would gift men with the power of healing and the power of mighty words so that they could demonstrate the deliverance that is available in the gospel. It was like some very effective object lessons that God gave them the ability to perform. And we see here a heavenly deliverance. We see that God moved through Paul to bless someone with a deliverance from a physical handicap. But in this deliverance, we see a very clear picture of what the gospel can do for a lost sinner. Let's look here. We see first thing we see as we look at this story uh, is that Paul met a young man uh, who had a serious uh, hindrance. Uh, he had a birth defect uh, and this birth defect uh, had caused a hindrance in his life. In verse number 8 it says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, uh, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Now this verse uh, is a threefold emphasis on the fact uh, that this man was unable to walk. Three Three times the, uh, the author uh, highlights the fact that this man was unable to walk. He says here uh, that he was impotent in his feet. The word impotent means uh, without strength, uh, powerless, uh, disabled. So his feet uh, were no good. He was without strength. He was unable uh, to make himself mobile with his feet. His feet were of no use to him. Uh, but then the Bible goes on and says uh, that he had been a cripple from his birth. Uh, this was not the result of an accident. Uh, this was not the result of a broke bone that did not heal. No, this was a birth defect. He had been this way since he was born. And then the Bible says he had never walked. Now this is a threefold clarification of the fact that this man couldn't walk. There's no question. He couldn't walk. But it's also a very excellent comparison to the fact uh, that you and I have a birth defect. Uh, it's a very excellent comparison to the fact uh, that from the time we entered this world, uh, we were without uh, strength. Uh, we were unable to produce any righteousness on our own. Uh, without God and without hope, uh, we entered this world uh, in need of someone to deliver us. Uh, we see that this young man had uh, a physical hindrance. Uh, uh, but then we also see that as Paul was preaching, uh, he saw the crippled man in the crowd. But what caught Paul's attention about this young man was his hope. Was his hope. This man was listening to Paul preach about the power 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as this young man listened to Paul preach, he began to believe what he was hearing. And as he began to believe what Paul was saying about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, he began to recognize that that deliverance that God was able to give could be applied to himself. And he began to develop some hope that maybe he wouldn't be a cripple his whole life after all. You know why you and I need to be busy proclaiming the hope of the gospel. You know why we need to be busy telling this lost world about the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if they listen and they begin to believe, they will begin to recognize that maybe there is some hope and they don't have to go throughout life without God. They don't have to go throughout life pursuing sin and ungodliness. They don't have to go throughout life a slave to addictions, but they can have freedom and deliverance. And if we proclaim that what Jesus can do, they will have hope. We see that this young man had some hope. It says the same heard Paul speak. Who steadfastly, this is Paul, Paul steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Paul is preaching. This young man listens to Paul and he begins to pay attention and Paul notices that this young man is paying attention. Paul keeps looking back over him as he's talking. He looks back over again. A little bit, Paul says... I believe this fella is ready for God to work in his life. In other words, Paul said it's time for the invitation. This guy is ready to let God make a change in his life. This man had hope in the power of Jesus Christ because of what he heard. He had hope of a better life. He had hope of a brighter day. He had hope of deliverance and freedom because of the message that Paul preached. But not only do we see his hope, Paul saw the hope in his eyes. Paul saw the hindrance that he had. But in verse number 10, we see his healing. And this healing took place through this man's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 9 and 10, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. You know, I find it interesting that Paul believed God enough that Paul, in front of the whole crowd, he didn't pull him off to the side in a side room in case it didn't work, nobody would know. Right in front of everybody, Paul said, Stand up! And the young man stood up. You know what? Whenever the Word of God is delivered and the sinner hears and believes the Word of God, something drastic takes place. I know that salvation comes through belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that completely. But when you believe, something drastic takes place. It's not just uh, jotting something down uh, in your own personal dictionary that now you know it and understand it. Uh, no, when you believe uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Bible says that you will be born again. The Bible says that old things uh, are passed away. Behold, all things uh, are become new. Uh, let me just say this morning uh, that if you think you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you think you are a Christian, uh, but there's never been a change in your life 
The Holy Spirit never moved in. You never had a change. You was never made a new person. That belief that you're holding on to is just a mental ascent and it's not doing you any good. A true belief in the Lord Jesus Christ will result in a change in your life. You'll have new desires. I'm not saying you'll be perfect. No, you'll still make mistakes. But you'll have new desires. No longer will you want to run after the things of this world. But instead, you will want to please an almighty God. And when you do, because of the temptation of your flesh, go after the things of the world. You realize that you have sinned against God and you are heartbroken and you want to get it right. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has moved in on the inside of you. Whenever God works, something drastic takes place. Paul looked at this young man and said, if you believe, get up. And he got up. I want to say that we see here a wonderful picture of the heavenly deliverance when God works in our life. Through faith in the Lord Jesus, this man's condition was erased. His problem was eliminated. His life was changed. He was a brand new person because of his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say that every person who hears the gospel and puts their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and says no longer all these other things, but simply to follow Jesus. He will make a change in your life. He will change who you are. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't go back on it because you will be a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we come to this encounter with the false religion. Paul spoke, the man leaped, and everybody noticed. You know, whenever you're preaching, Brother Rick can probably agree with this. A lot of times we try to use object lessons. I use the PowerPoint. We'll use pictures. We'll bring objects in sometimes to prove our point. And they're very helpful, and we use them to help you comprehend what the message is, to help you remember the message. But it's mixed emotions, Brother Rick, when five years down the road, somebody says, I remember one time you was preaching and you, you you brought this bush into church with you. And you're like, yeah, what was that message about? Now, I don't know. I just remember you brought the bush in with you. It's like, who cares about the bush? I was hoping you'd remember the message. It's mixed emotions. We're glad they remember it, but they didn't remember the message. Many times people focus on the physical and they miss the spiritual. You see, this man jumped up and walked and all those people who were half-heartedly listening to Paul, those people who had gathered on the outskirts just to see what this guy was all about, when they seen him leap up and walk, they're like, aha, we're paying attention now. We're paying attention and we see that they responded with a heathen delusion. You see, the majority of the believers here in Lystra were not believers in the majority of the residents were not believers in the gospel of Jesus. The majority of the people here in this town were blinded to the truth because they believed in a false religion. You know, this passage so clearly illustrates how false religion can blind the hearts of men to the truth of the gospel. Paul has just stood and preached, and apparently he gave a very 
clear presentation of the truth of Jesus Christ because there was a young man in the congregation that listened to the message, realized that there was hope for him in Jesus Christ, put his belief in what Paul was preaching, and his life was transformed. So Paul had did a very good job of presenting the gospel. Paul did a very good job of demonstrating the power of God in seeing this man delivered. But here's a whole group of people who completely missed it. They didn't get it at all. Why? Because they already had had their minds and hearts blinded by putting their trust in a false religion. You know what? The preacher can stand up here and I can preach and I can preach and I can preach and I can preach but until you're willing to turn loose of your own personal ideas about the Bible, you'll never change. We have to come to a point where we're like, okay, let God be true. And every man, including myself, be a liar. And if the Bible says it, then I am going to change and live according to it. But as long as you are holding on to your own preconceived ideas and notions, I can preach and I can preach and I can preach and I can preach and you will go away having not understood anything that was said. Paul had very clearly let the people know there is power in Jesus Christ to deliver. This man heard it, he believed it, he experienced it, but the multitude of the congregation never even realized that Paul was saying the power was through Jesus Christ. They were blinded by their own preconceived ideas. We see here that because of their preconceived ideas uh, that they had a misled reaction. In verse 11 and 12, And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, so they were speaking in their native tongue that Paul and Barnabas didn't understand. This will be important to remember in a couple of minutes. It's speaking in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. We see that they had a misled reaction. How many times do we see this in our own day? God is working and unbelievers want to give the credit to anybody but God. Somebody starts following God, somebody gets born again and God gives them deliverance from their addiction. And unbelievers want to say, oh, they, they turned over a new leaf. No, they didn't turn over a new leaf. They found the Holy Spirit who's dwelling on the inside of him, who made a new creature out of him. But we, we don't want to give God credit. We can see the judgment hand of God on this world. And we'll say, oh, it's just the forces of nature. You need to understand who controls the forces of nature. We can go on and on and on. We can see someone who gets excited about the things of God and begins to get involved in the church and begins to go to every service and begins to take part in the special activities and begins to go on visitation and begins to witness and try to reach people. And we see this person getting excited and we're like, wow, they are on fire for God. But the unbeliever will say, oh, it's just emotion. They're just getting caught up in another new thing. It'll burn out. We want to give everybody credit but God. But we see right here, we see right here that these townspeople completely missed Paul's message concerning Christ. Instead of listening to the truth, they focused on the wow factor of the miracle and they attempted to interpret it within their own understanding. 
here's what we think must have happened. And because of their false belief, they wanted to honor Paul and Barnabas for the healing with a misguided recognition. It says there, and they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was chief, pre, chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Their preconceived notions blinded them to the fact that Paul was preaching Jesus. They saw the work that Paul did and they're like, oh my, he must be one of the gods. Now they were speaking to each other in a native language that Paul and Barnabas didn't understand. So for a little while here, Paul and Barnabas had no idea what was going on. They're just excitedly talking to each other. Paul and Barnabas doesn't know what's going on. They can tell the people's excited, but they're not sure why. And then we see that the priest comes uh, and the priest brings uh, oxen and garlands and he begins to adorn uh, Paul and Barnabas and recognize them as gods. And although Paul and Barnabas wasn't sure what they were saying, uh, they recognized that this uh, was uh, something that they were honoring them as gods uh, and Paul and Barnabas realized that the people had completely missed the message. They had completely missed what it was they were trying to tell them. They had completely missed what it was they were trying to present them with. They realized they think that this power is from us. They don't realize that we're preaching Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Barnabas had to refute what was going on. They had to stop what was going on. Now Paul and Barnabas could have accepted the honors. And boy, I tell you what, there are so many folks who fall prey to the devil's temptation to say, let me honor you. Thus far, Paul and Barnabas hadn't been getting a lot of positive recognition. Now they're getting positive recognition. They could have said, ah, they missed it. Let's take the garlands. Let's let them treat us nice. You're like, oh, Paul and Barnabas never do that. I'm glad they wouldn't. I pray someday that I can be as great a Christian as they are. They were focused on Christ. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. The Bible says they rent their clothes. By rending their clothes, they showed their utter dismay in what was taking place. It, they could not imagine that these people were trying to honor them as God. Paul and Barnabas didn't want recognition. Paul and Barnabas didn't want to be put on a pedestal. Paul and Barnabas, their purpose was to elevate God and put God on a pedestal and to elevate Jesus Christ and to turn people's hearts to Jesus Christ. They didn't want put on that pedestal and they rent their clothes to show their utter dismay and they began to give a heartfelt declaration it says, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out. They came in and they began crying out. They came in and they began to preach again the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As they ran in, Paul began preaching a spur of the moment message. This wasn't pre-prepared. This came straight from the heart. He ran into the people and he began preaching one more time. And what did he do? He preached the Lord Jesus. We see here that Paul had four things that he preached. We'll go through them very quickly. First of all, Paul pointed out the error of the people. He said, we also... He says, sirs, why do you these things? Verse number 15, we also are men of like passions with you 
and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God. First of all, Paul pointed out the error of the people. He said, first of all, I want you to know that I am not a God. I want you to know that that man walking is not a result of anything that I can do in and of myself. I want you to know that I am a person just like you are. I'm nobody special. And I want to say when we're in the service of God, we must keep that spirit about ourselves. I'm nobody special. And when we see God work, we need not take the credit. We need not take the glory. But we need to say all glory to Him because it's only by the Lord Jesus Christ that anything can take place. Paul said, I want you to know you're all wrong, you're all wrong, you're all wrong. This isn't about me. I'm trying to point you to Jesus. He said, I'm preaching unto you that you should turn from these vanities, what you're getting ready to do right now, hanging these garlands around their neck, sacrificing these oxen, recognizing us as gods. I'm here to try and get you to turn away from this very thing right here. I am declaring to you the importance of turning to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing Paul did was he revealed the error of the people. He revealed where they were missing the truth of the gospel. I believe that every good preacher will take the word of God and reveal the error of the people. It's what God has called us to do. Turn away from your preconceived ideas. Turn away from your preconceived notions. Turn away from your traditions and your ideas. Uh, turn away from whatever it is that you believe and let the Word of God be your guide. Paul, first of all, revealed the error of the people, but then, but then Paul began preaching. We see that he highlighted three things. First, he highlighted the power of God. He said, which made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all things therein. Paul said, first of all, it's not about me. I'm trying to get you to turn away from this false worship. I'm trying to get you to recognize the creator of the whole world. I want you to recognize the power of God. But then Paul pointed out the patience of God. He said, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. He said, God's been patient with you. You've been following this false religion. You've been offering sacrifices to false gods. You've been living a life in denial of your Creator. And God has been merciful to you. God has been gracious to you. But I'm here to tell you today, it is time to repent and turn to God. And then Paul, in verse number 17, gave the proof of God. He said in times past, He allowed you to walk in your own ways, but even when you were walking in your own ways, he left not himself without witness. Amen. The very creation speaks of God. The very world we live in speaks of an almighty God. The body that we dwell in speaks of an almighty God. The ability to breathe in and breathe out air it speaks of the power of an almighty God. And Paul said, I want to let you know that even though you were following the false gods, he didn't leave himself without a witness. He said that he did good. Do you know every good thing that you experience is a result of the goodness of God. 
Every time you have an enjoyable moment, uh, every time that you have a, a, a time when you are able to enjoy life to its fullness, uh, whenever you have health, uh, whenever you have strength, uh, whenever you have clarity of mind, uh, every good thing that you experience uh, is a direct result uh, of the goodness uh, of the Almighty God. I believe if we would begin to recognize uh, that every good thing we experience comes directly from God. It might change our hearts to begin to turn our hearts and our minds towards God a little more frequently. He said, he said, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. He said, people, every time the rain, that it rained, that was God. Every time you picked an ear of corn and shucked it and was able to eat it, that was the goodness of God. Every time you reaped a bountiful harvest, every time you made it through a winter, every time you was able to enjoy something, it was because of the goodness of God. He has filled your heart with food and gladness. Paul preached to these people. They were about to sacrifice. Can you see them there? The priest standing there with his hand on the horn and his knife up in the air looking at Paul. The people over here with their garlands raised up about to put them over their neck and they're just kind of froze there. This is how I like to picture it. And they're listening. Paul's like, you all wrong. You all wrong. Put your knife down. Let the cow go. We're not talking about that God. We're talking about the true God. He's been patient with you. He's been long-suffering with you. He's been good to you. He has blessed you over and over and over again. Turn loose of your false belief and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. With this message, Paul convinced the people that he and Barnabas weren't gods. They weren't looking for recognition. They were proclaiming Jesus. The Bible says in verse number 18 that with these words they stopped the people and they didn't make the sacrifice and they redirected their attention back to Jesus. As we go through life, we're going to encounter people who have accepted an ulterior belief system. More and more we encounter people who believe in Allah or some other false god. We encounter these people who are evolutionists, which I fully believe is a religion in and of itself. We encounter people who have accepted all types of other beliefs. We find people who have accepted the belief that as long as they're good enough, they're going to go to heaven. We find people who accepted the belief that as long as, as, long as uh, you know, I don't do anything extremely bad, I'll be able to go to heaven. We find people who have accepted the belief that God is too kind and too loving to throw anyone into hell. We find people that have accepted all types of belief and we try to present the truth of the gospel that you must turn from your sin and you must turn to God. You must be born again. You must be made a new creature and we try to present this but their minds are blinded because they have been accepted the false belief that as long as they're good enough, as long as they do the these things, they'll go to heaven and many times they, they, we will become discouraged in turning them back to Christ. Paul and Barnabas rent their clothes and said, listen, we're trying to tell you about the God of all the earth. This morning, if I can be an encouragement to Christians, I want to say, keep pointing them to Jesus. Keep pointing them to Jesus. You may meet people who you try to witness to them 
and it seems like you're hitting your head against the wall, keep pointing them to Jesus. You may find people who you have preached and preached and preached the truth of the Word of God to them, and whenever they begin to share what they think about the Bible, you're like they do not understand. Keep pointing them to Jesus. It's what God has called us to do, is to keep pointing them to Jesus. The Bible says that we are the light of the world, that a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Don't put your light under a bushel, but let it shine and let the world know that we are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ and we will continue to point people back to Jesus over and over and over again. Perhaps you're here this morning though and you say, Pastor John, I really connected with that story about the crippled man. I'm not crippled physically, but I'm crippled spiritually. And I need that hope. I need that deliverance. I need God to make a change in my life. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Miss Debbie's going to make her way to the piano. This morning, if you're here and you're a Christian, I want to challenge you, keep pointing them to Jesus. I imagine that there's some here this morning that you are thinking about someone who you've deemed useless. You're thinking of someone that you have determined there's no point in witnessing to them anymore. I want to challenge you this morning. Keep pointing them to Jesus. Turn their eyes back on the one true God. I want to challenge you this morning. Point them back to Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you. Come to this altar and let us take the Word of God and show you how you can put your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us show you how you can be made a new creature, how you can have hope of eternity. Let us take the Word of God and show you how that you can find the deliverance that God offers. If the Lord has spoke to your heart this morning, as Miss Debbie plays, you come.